This short code podcast is a proud member of the MedEd Media Network. Inspiration, information, and guidance on your journey to medical school and beyond at MedEdMedia.com. Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the short code podcast. Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews by students for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcode.com. Welcome back to the Short Code Podcast, production of the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine. I'm Dave Etler. I'm here alone in the studio today. It's really sad. <laughs> <laughs> Gonna let you be alone. Oh wait, I didn't. I didn't see you guys there. Oh, my star! What a surprise! It's it's M two Abby Fife. Hello. M one Morgan Kennedy. Is that you? It's me. M two Mason Lamarche. I'm down here, Dave. Wow. And and M two Madeline Cusimano to top it all off. Ah, oh, you screwed it up. Oh. <laughs> You're so close. Sit down, sit down. It's so nice to have you here. I'm so, I'm happy to be surrounded by such fun people. Thank you. Wait, how do how do you say your name? I I sometimes mess it up still, but it's <laughs> it's Cusimano. Oh, Cusimano. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't agree. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna pronounce. It's really it. just how it's spelled. I'm gonna pronounce it however I however I Cusimano. Cus- yeah, but you don't you don't have oh. it. On your shirt, like Kusumano. Kusumano like, is fine, but what you said the first time was like a little. Oh, Kuma Baba, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kusumano, Kusumano, one of those two. To absolutely nobody's surprise, I screwed that up. Um, I'm glad you guys are here. Uh, uh, Morgan, about halfway through your first semester. I know, I can't How you feeling? It. I have a lot of emotions on a day-to-day basis. <laughs> <laughs> You've caught me on a good day, so yeah, that's yeah. wonderful. Um it's been it's been a whirlwind of amazing, wonderful, stressful learning experiences, but it's gone by really fast and I've already feel like I've learned a lot and met a lot of amazing people and been supported by the college because that is necessary throughout your mm-hmm. first half of your sem- first semester. So you're feeling the burn. I am feeling the burn. Mm-hmm. This week has been a little rough, um, but no pain, no gain. Yep. Yep, exactly. What was this week? This week, we have a clinical and professional skills exam, um, which in theory shouldn't be as difficult as some of the other ones. Um, I still have it in about two hours. Um, there's just been a lot of classes and required small groups and assignments and such this week. So it's just been a little bit overwhelming, um, even though this is supposed to be a break, quote, <laughs> break week, which is like, if I can't handle this break week, what is going break on? Break week means that they put everything Everything. else into one week yeah so it's stressful in a different yeah i was about to have a mental breakdown and i looked at the schedule and i have like two classes a day next week and i'm like okay i don't know why it's like this but i can make it through so the pace of it has been the most challenging yes that is definitely i think across the board for the first year students um and even from our m2s that have kind of given us some advice it's it's always just the pace and volume of getting used to this new lifestyle and curriculum and just pace of learning feeling like you're adapting though you're doing i mean i am yeah i honestly feel much better than i did i think i was on the show my second Mm -hmm. week of school early you were still fresh-faced you were still you know maybe not hadn't quite uh understood the reality of your Mm -hmm. new situation Mm -hmm. and at that point you're super overwhelmed but you don't feel like you can say it and now we're all just like we're we're in this (laughs) everyone knows everyone understands we're all here for each other so yes i've definitely adapted and and gotten used to the new new changes People, sometimes people are like, oh, the students, they're always, you know, they're always complaining about how hard it is. And I'm like, well, yeah, first of all, it's hard. And second of all, I'm never going to take it away. Anybody's God given right to complain. Yeah. Yeah. There's a uh, lot of complaining that happens. I'm trying to like teach myself not to do that, but sometimes you just gotta. Also, it's, it's, you've got to let that out. Therapeutic. I, just, yeah, it is. I just went to a GEE lunch oh my. on Wednesday. <laughs> Talk about, these are, these are the groups for educational excellence. And it's basically a structured way to provide feedback to our course directors and deans. Or it's or, a big mass vent session. But here's, here's the thing. This is my theory of like why they actually host these sessions, because it seems like they're putting themselves through like a lot of pain. And I think it's they have these organized sessions so we can just get all our rage out in one and then we'll just like move on with our lives. You think I should go to one of these? Sometimes? I've never been yes. in all of my years. I I've think, never I been. I think it would be pretty fun for you. Yeah. yeah. Just watch this. It's like mm-hmm. good TV probably. <laughs> yeah. It, or like or bad TV. <laughs> it's like Maury. It's like a reality show. Probably. There was a particularly dumpster fire one last semester. 
Um, so the the male female exam one. Yeah, no, no they're, they're yeah. good. I really appreciate the openness to feedback of the administration, but I just think it's it all builds on each other. Yeah, look, yeah. You, you know, if you're gonna ask for feedback, and you should, right? Uh, if you're gonna ask for feedback, you got to be willing to take the the heat. Right. I always try to be civil. Yeah. That's important. I mean, you know, you're not going to be able to there. Nobody's going to listen to your feedback if you're like I balance my pro and con, you know, like arguments. Screw you guys. This is awful. You guys are so awful. Blah, blah, blah. That's not going to work. And no one says it like that. No. Yeah, I know. It's just like but the negativity like builds. Yeah. We feed off each other's negativity. And I think most of the things that people get upset about or fired up about, like I kind of get where. The administration is coming from like some things I don't really think they can be done any differently and I don't think it's something that is unique to Iowa like a unique problem to Iowa I think it's a problem with like medical school and the pace of medical yeah, school I, would, hey, second look, that. I yeah. would be surprised I would be surprised to know that there are that a majority of medical schools mm -hmm. spend as much time as we do. And I don't know this for sure, but spend as much yeah. time as we do asking questions about yeah. our curriculum. Yeah, I'm really impressed with that. So Absolutely. there's no it lack. Really, it really empowers you because you like complain about something and then they change it. And, and it's and, amazing. And then, and, and, then, and then the next semester or the next year, the the students complain about that new thing that you did and suggest that it gets changed yeah, back. And it then must it does. Exhausting. It just it, goes it back. It hurts my heart a little bit when you hear like, especially people like Carrie or Leda, and they're just like, yeah, we implemented that because of student feedback <laughs> last year. And I'm just like, oh, shoot. I think, I think there's just like too We're many personalities that want different things. Yeah. And then it's like whichever personality group was more vocal the one year. And it's yeah. usually the group that was mad. <laughs> yeah it's tough it's tough but it's worth doing i mean their students often have good ideas about you know how to how to rearrange things how to you know maybe how they would like to get the information that they get um sometimes you can sometimes you can uh, enact those changes other times it's a little bit more difficult maybe there's not enough money maybe there's not enough time maybe there's not enough actual physical space in the building to do it um but it's uh it's it's good to uh, collect that, those ideas. Who knows? Maybe someday somebody will throw up a new building and, and we'll have that We room. can have a full gym just for medical A stuff. full gym. A map room. A map room? A nap, yeah. Oh, I thought you said a oh. map no, room. No, a nap room, like where they have like <laughs> yeah. little map pods and blankets. Nice. That is one nice. thing we're missing here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've tried scoping out several places where I could just sleep for just 20 minutes and it's like, I never feel safe. Yes. Them, so I'm, oh, I just sleep in the You room. never yeah. feel safe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like I don't want anyone to walk in and be like, oh, someone's sleeping. Let's spray paint their face maybe it's just i went to many sleepovers as a kid yeah. like that's, that's the issue yeah i think you're sleeping i just sleep all the time on the couch and bean when yeah. i need a nap mason i think we've just re we've we've just found out that mason has had a few uh, genitalia yeah. uh, markered on his face <laughs> i've just reviewed over the like, years. repressed history <laughs> <laughs> it's not good <laughs> so uh well okay so you're 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 doing all right keeping your head uh above more or water. less above water yeah. m2s uh, any any advice for um, Morgan? Please. I mean, like, I'm pretty impressed that Amazing was, like, at the top of your list because I'm pretty sure it was around this time last year that we would regularly sit in a circle in our learning community and talk about what made us cry. <laughs> <laughs> um, my, so my biggest like, advice is don't, right. <laughs> don't assume that second semester you're going to have copious amounts of more time. Because that's what the M2s told me last year. And they were like, oh, yeah, second semester is so much better. You don't have anatomy lab, but then you have neuro. And but M2 year, you do have more more time. Yeah, I even though we had neuro, I still thought second semester infinitely better when you lose an element. Okay. Mm. So, I mean, don't go crazy, okay. but that's my <laughs> like, don't sign up for seven extracurriculars. But yeah, no, it's it's nice to not have to balance the two classes. But they're still like they increase the amount of lectures. And to me, it just didn't feel like a dramatic change because neuro hit yeah. me like a ton of bricks, even though I loved it. I think a lot of what preclinical education is trying to prepare us for. And one thing that kind of becomes apparent as you go through each semester is different learning styles. So like neuroanatomy is a little different from gross anatomy is a little bit different from, you know, our, our basic science courses, um, all for the purpose of eventually when you get on the, the in the clinics, you don't have you have some structured, you know, education. But a lot of it's like you have to figure out how you are as an independent learner. So the second I kind of realized that and stopped chasing purely grades or how I felt in a given week, but started thinking like, how can I actually turn this into a real learning opportunity? Um, I think it does help to change how you experience each semester and get a little bit more out of it because that's what you're preparing to do. You're kind of like learning a language. 
because when you get in, you know, in the clinics, you're now studying abroad. Like you got to apply all that language you just learned mm-hmm. from the first. Right. That is resiliency right there. I'm very impressed. Yeah. Man. yeah. So I um did not do as well in the first two tests of the semester as I had hoped. Like it was weird. How did I get through the whole first year? You know, I had bad tests and good tests, but like this semester hit me a little bit harder than I was expecting. So I literally revamped my entire study style for like the past two tests and it is working. So like I didn't really find out what worked for me in this material until about halfway through my M2 year or M2 first semester. So yeah, never too late. I would would second that. Don't be afraid to like change your study habits because what works for one unit won't work for the other. I'd also add that even more important than finding the way to study is have fun with your life, okay? Don't um. be depressed because you're in medical school. Do things you love. You wanted to be here, so it's not, right. it's not a good idea <laughs> to be depressed yourself. about it if you, if you can manage it. No, but I think because we were talking about complaining earlier and I hear a lot of people complaining and complaining about the demands, but they're not also finding ways to engage in things that are like restful and fun and so I found like when I am like you know what I have a lot to do but I'm going to spend my two hours every Sunday night learning how to make pottery I'm just really obsessed with this pottery class I'm in you know it's like that helps me feel better and then when I like stop trying to like spend 98% of my hours studying and the other 2% eating and sleeping now I do way better in school like right wild I know <laughs> Mason apparently had some extra time on his hands, though, because uh, yeah. he is a uh, he's put together a presentation for this week's uh, exam in life conference um, coming up. And um, yeah, you had to have some extra time to do that. So I guess M2 year street and you all right. Yeah, that's uh, so this will be my third time presenting at the conference. I did a couple of times in undergraduate. So part of it is uh, knowing what it entailed, like the time commitment. Um, so kind of setting aside that time to work on the presentation was important. I also start working on it over the summer, mm-hmm. which is uh, a good idea. Yeah. I've had it in the past where I didn't do that and I've waited to, uh, you know, a month or so before. So having it pretty much done by the summer and now just kind of cementing it, all the research was done. So really now the, the talk is in its final form. I um, just need some tweaking is, uh, yeah, it's been a, a good addition because I agree, like whether it's pottery or doing even like different academic pursuits that aren't like memorizing the Krebs cycle or whatnot. Um, <laughs> so it, it was a cool thing to research something I'm really interested in. What is your presentation? So my talk's on uh, writing satire and then applying it to medicine. So um, I have a little bit of experience with comedy. I've done stand-up comedy for the past three or so years. Have Um, you? I have, yeah. Are you going to do the talent show again? I'm not this year. I don't have any good material ready to go that's like medical school appropriate. You should talk with with Aline. I've actually seen a couple of her sets. Have you? Um, Yeah, both in Iowa City and up at Cedar Rapids. You guys could do like a a buddy comic thing, you know, like a buddy stand-up thing. There definitely could be a one-two there, but she is really good, so it is very intimidating. Um, (laughs) She is is excellent up there. So so I've always had this interest of uh, comedy and then how humanities can be applied in medicine. So um, I've written a little bit of of satire. I wrote for Gomer Blog a piece um, sometime last year about they're going to make a four-step step exam. So it's going to be the, oh the four, it, it's not true, it's satire. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I just need to clarify that because I just saw Abby's soul leave her body. Um, <laughs> but uh, the whole point is it was going to be a $10,000 exam that everyone had to take. And part of it was you're going to be whipped by social workers and forced to live in shanty towns. Um, and a kind of experience of, of almost venting, but almost in a constructive manner of like, yeah, this would be ridiculous, but let's not act like it's outside the realm of possibility. Um <laughs> kind of create a, a notion in me that like, yeah, satire is a cool thing to explore in medicine, especially if you have some some purposes for it and not just to complain, but to provide feedback. So you're, so that's what your presentation is about. Yeah, um, that's the, that's the spark notes of it. That's enough if like you just submit an assignment for a class based on what I talked about, like you could definitely just use that. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, good. Uh, I, I, th- I think it's interesting that um, as an undergrad, you uh, also, uh, did presentations at the conference because i imagine it's not common to find conferences that you know you'd even feel comfortable presenting at as an undergrad yeah i had done research as an undergrad and a lot of times um undergrads with great mentors will get opportunities to present their research at bigger small scale events but none of my research really turned into something where i was like ah, i would feel comfortable talking about this or, or really had the mastery of it um but things like applying humanism in medicine. Uh, the first year I gave a talk on how you can use music appreciation skills to become a, a better clinician as far as listening to patients. Um, and then um, I should forget what my second talk was on, but but both of them were 
good opportunities for me to talk about what I knew mm-hmm. um, and get practice in, in front of an audience and get feedback. And I think both those experiences were really formative um, because, you know, after the talk, I try to keep a more question and answer and more discussion. I just got so much great feedback from um, the amazing people who come to the Examine Life Conference, which helped me as a, as a presenter, as a speaker. Um, and it also helped me to kind of have something on my resume that um, showed that I, I had interest in this and that I had a capability to present, even if it wasn't in formal research. And of course, that's uh, part of the name of the game when you're looking for things to put on your on your on your application for medical school or whatever. So if you can find venues to um, to make those presentations, um, then you know, go for it. Yeah, it was something where it came up a lot in the interview trail um, because I had done that and had those experiences, and then I also um, did a podcast with some friends and held a radio show. And uh, that's always a unique thing to get to talk about is is different forms of communication. And uh, I found that to be a really powerful and, and effective thing to have on an application that let me talk about something different than what everyone else talks about, which is liking science and liking helping people. Yeah. I remember you came to me as an undergrad. You were like, hey, we're interested in doing a podcast. You and a friend, did, was that the podcast that you ended up doing or was it another one? So it wasn't. So that's um, another M2 Chris Sidwell and I, we had met an undergrad and um, kind of had this idea for doing a, a podcast more geared towards pre-meds. And then both of us just got into jobs and it just kind of went downhill. Right, yeah. Um, but I ended up doing something else with a, um, a good friend of mine who's finishing his PhD up now in, in California. He started a podcast. Um, it was um, called uh, Just a Theory, I believe. Believe, but it was basically he was looking at old science history and then saying like how is this applied now um what's the history of its, its creation that's kind of fun and then we turned it into a, a radio show where we interviewed uh, local ui scientists um so we had um <coughs> dr cornelia lang from astronomy here at the university um we had dr uh, dale abel from um, oh yeah from internal medicine come talk about his work so um it kind of evolved into instead of being historical science modern science and once again it was just all a super cool experience to uh get to know more about like other scientists but also practice you know media skills yeah i now feel unqualified to be on this podcast hey you know <laughs> we were all unqualified once you know what i'm saying i'm still unqualified <laughs> we, the great thing about podcasting is I mean, first of all, I always say the great thing about podcasting is nobody's listening when you're first, you know, starting out so you can make mistakes and, you know, nobody will will be there to, you know, hold your feet to the fire over them. Um, But it is great practice to um, to possibly exploring um, ways of communicating about your profession um, with other people and also um, just learning about what it is you're becoming, you know, to sort of do that out loud. Um, I think is is kind of uh, cool. Well, good. I look forward to. I uh, hope I can make it. I'll be uh, to your presentation. I'll be because it's kind of right up my alley. But um, you know, I'll be busy running the the conference. So we'll see if I can. We'll see if I can break away to that. We'll see if he can squeeze you in. <laughs> I already just heard that Dave's not going to come to my talk, and I've just accepted it. That's what. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, that's not true. I do want to. Go- <sighs> <laughs> What's a country to do when faced with a public health situation they want to gain control over and a populace that is really, really, really into soap operas? Well, if you're Africa, you take another country's soap opera, <coughs> just snip it all up into little bits and pieces, and then overdub it with, uh, with African uh, actors to tell stories addressing your public health situation. Uganda, for instance, has one of the highest birth rates in the world, and sex education is pretty controversial there. Um, taboo in in many ways. On average, women have more than five children. And a recent study linked a lack of sex education to an increase in teen pregnancy and uh, new HIV infections in young people. So a group of Ugandans, Ugandans, what do you think? I'm going to say Ugandans. Yeah, I yeah that's, Ugandans. that's what I was thinking. Yeah, that's my that's my uh, my mother's New York coming out. A bunch of Ugandans <laughs> purchased <laughs> the rights to the show. A Venezuelan soap originally entitled Reborn, uh, 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 that's the English uh, version, and is cutting it up and overdubbing it into a show called Love and Wealth. (laughs) Storylines will feature, for instance, a woman getting a tubal ligation, uh, the problems of discussing sexual health with your parents, um, and uh, the problems one might face in a polygamous relationship. Uh, (laughs) Ugandans are really into these telenovas, uh, which often feature fantastical, romantic, and dramatic stories. Uh, who here likes a good soap opera? Do you guys watch soap operas? Does my Grey's gra- Anatomy come? Yeah, that's what I was oh, yeah. I mean, that's like a modern... My grandma would the, the, watch... There was like, the daytime the soap operas that 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 our parents um, and, and, and to my some, grandma some loved that my generation grew up with. And there so. were always, there were always um, like 
uh, soap opera type shows that were in the evenings that didn't really look the same, but they were technically soap operas. Mm-hmm. Um, and then telenovelas are pretty great, though. I'm not. I've not. I don't think I've ever watched a uh, telenovela. When I studied abroad, I would watch it with my host mom in the Dominican Republic. But I feel like I know, like, oh, you have to, you have to speak like this. And there's always and you must be, be like, very dramatic. Yeah, a random murder. Yes, and people come back to life. Yeah, our like, high school just like a regular Spanish, soap opera. Yeah, our high school Spanish teacher showed us telenovelas every Friday to help us learn Spanish. Nice, that's sweet. Probably that's a real strategy people use. Watch TV to learn. Sure, yeah. language. Yeah, you can't tell me we don't do that same thing here. We maybe make our own rather than use another country's, but well, it's, you know, it's yeah. applicable. I uh, I used to. So I, uh, when I was uh, a freshman in college, uh, I met a, okay, so I'm going to make a controversial statement, but maybe not so controversial. Let's face it. Uh, soap opera watching is not a traditionally male activity in the United States of America. Can we agree on that? Please if push back. If we're talking about stereotypes, yes. maybe. Okay. Maybe. We don't have hard data. We don't have hard data, but I'm thinking the stereotypical viewer is uh female i mean dr cox and scrubs he watched i'm talking about daytime soap operas oh yeah that's he did watch a lot of daytime soap operas so i mean he's he could be like the the counter character all right all i know is my grandma loved him uh well anyway when i was a freshman in college i hung out in a in a in a in a women's dorm (laughs) uh because you know but uh (laughs) i was giving him my best shot um but they all watch soap operas and uh and so i ended up watching a lot of soap operas too and kind of enjoying them and thinking that they were you know kind of funny and cool so i think it's a good way to to uh to spread the word about uh some sort of uh you know, public health message. Yeah, I mean, I'm Use really curious to see, like, if it works. I want some data in a few years. <laughs> right. If it does, then I'm like, sure, sure if this is this is effective, then go for it. I'm having my tubes tied. <laughs> yeah, so if I'm understanding it, they're basically just taking all this pre-made footage. Like, there's got to be situations where they're going to bring up topics that aren't related to what's going on in yeah. the scene, yeah. and I'm looking forward to that. I think that's <laughs> purely that. That sounds like a great... Uh, I don't know, like a like a great improv exercise, right? <laughs> Just strip the strip the uh, the dialogue out of a out of a telenova and and. Uh, I mean, it is kind of what like Grey's Anatomy does too, but just in a more like it's written to be that storyline from the beginning, like <laughs> right. or just a lot of TV shows. They'll pick like a current social issue and yeah. like yeah. the patient or someone will be experiencing that social issue, and so in like a subtle way, you get like the pros and cons and. Of the situation, but this is more of like a we're taking this already made thing and twisting it into this public health message. That's true. I hadn't really thought of that because they do. Yeah, we in this country we do address some some mm-hmm. social issues or or health. I issues mean that way. Sorry, for I don't the, know if they're sorry for the spoiler alert, but Meredith Gray just got. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh, Madeline! We to, can cut we're gonna that out. We're gonna have to cut that so hard to bleep and that was, all it out. It was like. Four episodes ago, okay, though. But I'm, I haven't even started the new season. I wait for Netflix <laughs> to make it show off. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's what I'm doing tonight. <laughs> I didn't give a pause between spoiler. Yeah, and you like, really gotta. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. We'll bleep all that. It's out. like it's. I'm gonna bleep that out in a way. I'm gonna try yeah, to bleep I, that out in a way that leads people to a completely opposite. No. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> I have seen like ads that have made me wonder what what in the world happened to Meredith Grey. I mean, you you kind of predict that from the end of last season. I'm a little behind. Mm. I haven't watched any of the season. Well, I have watched. No, I just You're haven't watched the pottery. most two. Re- I know pottery. <laughs> My thing. Yeah, I'm really not some that of great us, at it. But some of our wellness activities involve Grace Anatomy, oh, and yeah. some involve pottery. Uh, I'm a little behind on my pottery. Can I ask you to? I want to see. But do you have pictures? I have a couple right now. Nothing's been fired yet. We don't have to show me now, but I definitely want to see, and I want you to consider if you ever come up with something that you'd be willing to put in Murph on a, you know, on a permanent, semi-permanent basis or permanent basis. If that ever, you know, occurs to you, we could do that. Is there like a quality standard that the pottery has to meet? Because I don't know that we have any hope. I think that would be, I think that would be up to you. If you came to me and were were like, this is my piece de resistance or whatever you would call it. I don't know if that's the right. (laughs) Then I would be like, it's going on the wall. All right. I'll keep that in mind. All right. My, my ability. Is that how that art that just is randomly in the hallways gets up? Yeah. Yeah. I'm the one who puts that up. The blurbs are super fun to read. Sometimes Mm -hmm. while I'm like on hold uh, on the telephone, I just go out and read those. 
You do all of that? Yeah, yeah. Wow. On this floor and and the one above, uh, we do that. Neat. Love it. Um, and I've been looking for a long time for, we did a pottery class. Um, I'm pointing over here to some examples. This was from a long time ago. And I was really impressed with how well they came out. The people who did that graduated in 2008. Um, and I, oh. I should put it out and I did have it out in the hallway. Um, and uh, the facilities people were worried that they were going to, people were going to hit it with their vacuum cleaners and stuff like that in the evenings and knock it all over. So or my book bag, like my book bag's always knocking things <laughs> over in this building. Yeah. So anyway, but I would love to hang something on the wall, maybe a plate or a, Oh, I can probably make a play. Something we'll like see. that. All right. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. No promises. Bring it on. Um, Abby, what do you get? What do you get when you put a bunch of migrant children into large detention centers and don't give them vaccinations? Well, you get me fired up and angry. <laughs> uh, you get the flu. Yeah. Dave. You get the flu. According to a Bloomberg opinion piece uh, I read uh, that you forwarded to me, in, la in the last year, three migrant children have died from flu-related complications uh, while they were in U.S. custody. More than 50 camps on the Mexico border have experienced mumps outbreaks. The CDC has said that uh, preventable diseases are still spreading in camps across the U.S. Customs and Border Patrol have said they don't give vaccinations because camps are intended to be short-term holding facilities and that vaccination programs are too complex. Um, I don't know, counterpoint. Many centers routinely um, have to hold children for more than a week. And I'm not just, I'm not sure how complex a flu vaccination is, for instance. I mean, I guess there could be more than one vaccination given, but flu seems like a, flu and mumps seem like pretty good ones to, to give. Are flu, I, I mean, from my perspective, I just go in, well, actually, I can't get a flu shot, but I, but I, you know, I would, the people I know who can get a flu shot, they just go in and get a shot and then they're done with it for that year. Yeah. Is it complicated? Is it no, more complicated than I'm envisioning? I think you don't, you in can't the yeah. get it while you're sick. And then there's like one other thing that I can't remember that if you're allergic to eggs, I thought they got rid of that one. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe that's it. But it's like, and then there's something that old people have. Or, I don't know. But I feel like, yeah, it's not that, like, I don't know if we'd have, like, language issues, like, ask the kids. So I suppose there would be, yeah. So what you're saying is I suppose it would be hard to ask children, for instance. Yeah. What but, is your immunization status? Can you can you get the flu shot? Mm, that kind yeah. of thing. That would be but, tough. Because okay, there are a series of questions that they ask. Let's it. solve this problem by keeping the kids with their parents. Mm. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. It's something where it's like it's clearly an issue when you have those those viruses being passed around, and you have vaccines that can help you know mitigate that and, and prevent future transmission. But it, you do point out the underlying issue of it becomes an administrative hassle in terms of like how do you make sure everyone got the vaccine and when did they get it? Do they have underlying medical conditions? The child doesn't know their medical history or it's never been you know revealed um, as it manifested yet. Like what do you do if they have a bad reaction to a vaccine? Those rare off chances. So um, it's something where it's like it's, it's like a no brainer of like, OK, if we don't vaccinate because you don't keep people in these situations for long periods of time, that seems like an issue to address first um, so that they can then get proper you know, public health uh, treatment in, in different locations that aren't in you know, migrant camps. I suppose in any program like this, you uh, you weigh the risk versus the benefits and you um, if the benefits outweigh the risks, then you would consider proceeding. And and, you know, of course, the risks include things like, you know, reaction, things like that you already pointed out. But if the if the overall effect is a positive one, then that seems like a yeah, that's what seems like a good idea. What I think about it. And it's like there. But I wasn't thinking about all the when I read this article and I don't think the article was written by a physician. But when I read the article, I I kind of wasn't sure. I mean, I didn't I, I didn't love the fact that, you know, these kids are in these camps and not getting immunized. But I also wasn't quite sure that I agreed with their premise that vaccinations are easy and risk free and all that kind of stuff. Because, yeah, I just think that it's like we are containing children and adults in an environment that's like ripe for an infection. Like we are really setting them up to get the flu. And then like, oh, well, it's not our responsibility to prevent it. It's not. That, yeah. yeah, they don't have another option like um, or like they, they'll take insulin from diabetic patients. And then it's like suddenly the patients fall when they go in a DKA, diabetic ketoacidosis. And it's like they weren't asking for you to provide the insulin. They were asking for what they had. But then it's also like when you are adding this risk to these people that they're in this infectious disease place, it's like they're not really asking for that much. Well, I don't know if the children are probably not begging for right. shots, but 
it's like just like a basic thing of like we are I mean I am very much against the containment of these children and all the adults but it's just like we can't even take care of them while we are locking them up that just seems really backwards to me and I get very frustrated I can imagine that they would say that there's issues with consent also because either the children can't consent but their parents aren't with them so they can't consent for them and if they allowed the kids to consent what child would consent to to getting shots that they don't really understand or yeah there's there's major issues with Mm -hmm. like being able to give the vaccines but it's to me the fact that the vaccines are pretty necessary in this situation and then the the administration is saying well it's not like our area to deal with it and it's like yeah it is because you created it so like track down their parents get the parents to give the history and the consent I don't like I don't care that it's that much more work you like created the problem so it's not then someone else's responsibility to fix it I want to echo what Abby's saying because that's the point I wanted to get across is if you address that underlying issue of them mm-hmm. being there like then we don't have to worry about those necessary further downstream um, vaccination issues so but yeah since they are there like how do we how do we do that harm reduction how do we help those kids so uh, it's an awful situation I really just don't think harm reduction is a priority in this situation <laughs> that's fair <laughs> Doesn't seem like it. I mean, in, in, in August, for instance, the U.S. Court of Appeals in San Francisco ruled against the government's position that things like uh, edible food, water, hygienic facilities, soap, toothpaste, adequate sleep were all things that the government uh, was allowed to decide. The, the government's position was we can decide whether that's necessary for us to provide um, the detained children. And the, and the court was like, mm, yeah, no, that's you're you're bound. Um, I don't know if it was a I don't think it was a, a an argument of moral responsibility, but of responsibility by um, international agreement that mm-hmm. you're uh, obligated to provide safe conditions for safe and hygienic conditions for your detainees. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so they're, they're detained like they can't get these things elsewhere. They were right. They can't nip down yeah. to the CVS and get their, uh, you know, get their flu vaccine. So it's not like they came to the United States asking for these things to be provided. They came asking for the chance <laughs> to provide for themselves and their children. And so I'm just. Vaccines seem like a part of like providing that safe environment too. Yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. I agree. Well, there's another medication shortage in the U.S. This time of a drug called vincristine. Am I pronouncing that right? Yeah, yep, sounds good. It's a drug absolutely vital in the treatment of childhood cancer. An interview with a pediatric oncologist in Baltimore on NPR highlighted the problem. Vincristine is required to treat nearly every childhood cancer and there are no alternatives available. It's widely used, but drug company Pfizer the sole manufacturer of this very inexpensive chemo drug is experiencing production delays. Uh, other companies could make vincristine, but in recent years, fewer and fewer want to make the cheap generics. Doctors interview, The doctor interviewed uh, said that uh, for now, stocks of vincristine are adequate, but they're stretched. And if there are further delays or more patients uh, need it than anticipated, that will change. Um, so, okay, I'm not a communist. All right. Not a communist. I uh, benefit from our semi-capitalistic society in many ways, um, some of which I feel comfortable. Um, but I think that this highlights the problem with an unconditional view that the po- of the positive outcomes of a capitalist system. The, if profit is the prime mover, some unprofitable but societally important and perhaps necessary activities will not get priority. So in our medicine society class as M2s, we have a a debate um, portion and our group did a debate on um, pharmaceutical companies and whether the federal government should have to like negotiate drug prices with them. And what we realized was there's not a nice straightforward answer because of how pharmaceuticals are able to leverage, you know, the market. I think this is another good example that seeing this the day after we did this discussion was, um, you know, pretty apparent is there's not as much of a profit incentive to make this drug um, that is used in a, a lot of chemotherapy regimens. And it's, it's things where you look at capitalism and go, well, that's capitalism acting, but um, there is got to be some balance of, you know, being able to provide goods and services for this super essential drug um, mm-hmm. and many drugs like it. Um, it. It's an issue here, but we see it up and down the pharmaceutical industry. It's, it's a big thing that needs to be <laughs> talked about more. Yeah. I remember one of the, I, our group did the same debate. One of the um, con arguments to implement price controls, um, blanket price controls, was just like if you kind of take away the ability for pharmaceutical companies, like it's not it's not even just about like getting at the pharmaceutical companies. It's like the investors in the pharmaceutical companies, which is an implication that I didn't really even think about before this debate. How like if pharmaceutical companies stop becoming a place for profit, then these high dollar investors are just gonna be like okay i'm gonna go to like the tech startups and Mm -hmm. you know like other markets in order to like make my buck 
you know, so. Yeah. there are, But there are, I think there are options here. It's just that you have to, um, I don't know, this is probably not the right word, but you have to be a little less mercenary about it. You know, you, mm-hmm. you can you can go, okay, well, um, I am going to contribute slash invest in a nonprofit that um, makes these uh, cheap generics available, manufactures these cheap generics. Um, granted, it would be a huge effort to start something like that up with no clear return on investment. But I mean, I know there are people out there who are willing to, you know, give money to that sort of thing. And I don't know, maybe the government could kick in a few bucks because, you know, when you're running out of sodium bicarbonate, for God's sake, um, that's kind of an issue, you know? Mm Yeah, I have a vested interest in this a little bit, like morally. I was really involved in dance marathon here in my undergraduate years. And so I got to know a lot of pediatric cancer patients and their families. This is this, an, this is not an Iowa thing, dance marathon. It's this not. Is, yeah, so. It is not at all. But I was programmed specifically. Most programs are like Children's Miracle Network hospital support overall. Okay. And I Iowa, didn't know about this at all when I was yeah. in college or whatever, if it, if it existed back then. Yeah, it's really great. But I was programmed as unique because it's specifically just pediatric cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, at our children's hospital here. So I just got to know a lot of the patients and their families throughout that process. And some of them I still am connected with on social media. And so this has been all over my news feed um, this week. And just seeing their perspective and what they have to say about this is that these drug companies are saying that it's not profitable for them Mm -hmm. and it's their child's life. Um, And it's patients and families that have either finished this treatment and can speak to how much of a difference and how much of a life-saving drug this was for them and are upset about the fact that this won't be maybe possible for patients that are about to get diagnosed or newly diagnosed or patients and families who are currently taking this drug and just have all of this unease and worry about what their future is going to be like. And so it's been kind of hard to see to see that and those posts from actual real families that have taken this drug or kind of in this panic mode right now. So disclaimer on what I'm about to say, I am not an economist. I am not good at economy things. So like, <laughs> just, just keep that When you in actually mind. say the words economy things, that's kind of a clue. <laughs> yeah, it is. Economics. But economics, yes, thank you, Madeline. But I just think that economics isn't always the best way to measure benefit. Yeah. Um, and I think that that is very clear in a lot of areas. Like, so in our global health class last year, we talked about malaria. And if you eradicate malaria, it's not really any better for the economy than if you almost eradicate malaria. And so it's like, oh, should we not like fully eradicate malaria? No, no one's saying that. No one's saying, well, like the economy doesn't get that last little boost if we go all the way. They're like, no, we eradicate malaria because people like people deserve Human to beings. not get malaria. Yeah. And it's like and then then if we almost eradicate malaria, the people who are still getting it are the ones who are going to be hit by it the worst. Mm. And so it's just like a slightly different example of the same phenomenon that just because something isn't an economically good idea doesn't mean it's not good for society. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't know what that says about capitalism and things but it just like i think it just i I don't think you know like i like i said i don't think capitalism is bad you know i'm not going to argue against i'm not prepared to argue uh against capitalism but it's not exact it doesn't it doesn't provide the answers to every need for motivation as you say it's it's not all about money and um it is though well i mean life shouldn't be all about money maybe (laughs) capitalism is all about money (laughs) but um i don't know it's uh it's the difficult the difficult question yeah i mean to qualify it too is if we talk about a capitalistic market there's certain benchmarks we expect in terms of competition and the distribution of goods and when you hold the pharmaceutical market up to that ruler it falls short in a lot of areas i mean one of the things that bugs me is the major investment of federal government dollars into pharmaceutical companies from 2010 to 2016 it was 64 billion dollars and then to see pharmaceutical drugs not be able to keep up a supply of a chemotherapy drug because they're spending it on direct to consumer advertising. Yeah, when their their claim is that their research and development costs are a major issue. Um, but I think recent work by um, Vinay Prasad, who's a, a cancer doc out in Oregon, has pointed out that their marketing budgets are significantly larger, and it's not accounting for the fact that there's so much public investment in these companies as is. So, yes. well, I mean, you know, erections are very important. Essential. I think that's important. <laughs> I, you know, we have to, we do have to acknowledge that. Boy. Um, 
Uh, yeah, I mean, you'd think like some of that 64, is that right? $64 billion? From 2010 to 2016, yep. You'd think of, uh, maybe it would be the, more the government's role to uh, channel that investment into um, these drugs that people um, that people need and that there's no direct profit incentive to, to create. So, just my thought. It's a complicated issue. It is. Yeah. It is. I don't want to make it out like, you know, you know, uh, it's easy to solve. Um, we've got we've got a system and, you know, that's the one we live in. Power dynamics in medicine are tough. Maybe you see somebody higher on the food chain doing something you don't agree with or making an error that you feel compelled to correct, even though it may get you into trouble. Sort of thing is difficult to deal with. So I thought I'd put on my fake medical educator hat and give you some practice in navigating a very, very similar minefield. Let's play Mega Battle. Get yourself really keyed up, Abby, <laughs> because we're going to play She's this game. All right. Yeah, I am. Uh, let's see if I can find the rules. Um, <laughs> Madeline, Abby, mm -hmm. you're team one. Morgan and Mason, you're team two. I'm going to use this supercomputer over here to generate a character and some characteristics for him or her, and you will argue to see who wins the battle between them. This is clearly a direct parallel to power dynamics in medicine. <laughs> Clearly. Clearly. So Absolutely. Abby, Abby and I are in the same team. Yes, you will be you will be arguing with 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 uh Morgan and Mason about whose character will win. Mason, I'm not good at hey, arguing. Dr. Okay. Kelgen would be so upset. <laughs> I mean it's okay. They're they're gonna be losing to us. So that's, oh. that's <laughs> I'm like not really understanding what's about to happen. <laughs> yeah. We'll generate a new uh pairing here. All right, so team one is Peter Rubenstein. Is that me? Am I team one? Okay, oh boy, okay. Inside a giant robot, and you can dig and run through tunnels with super speed. Uh, team two is an anesthesiologist, a wall crawler uh, armed with catarangs. Can we define the word catarang? Catarang is a uh, is is the Catwoman's uh, version of the batarang boomerang weapon that uh, Batman. Okay. Like, I'm embarrassed for team two. This is not a fair match. No. Well, no. you know, maybe they can come up with something. They are an anesthesiologist. Yeah, Peter Rubenstein, so our, our beloved uh, biomedical, so bio, uh, chemistry. bio chemistry yeah. expert here at the Carver College of Medicine. He is, a, he sings to us in yeah. class. So. After you finish your biochem classes, he'll just come to your class for he, fun. He is both everywhere and nowhere yeah. at the so maybe, same time. So maybe among his superpowers is uh, is ubiquity and compassion. Yeah. He's a CECOM legend, really. But he's inside a giant robot and can dig uh, through tunnels with super speed. So And uh, anesthesiologist wall crawler armed with catarang. Go! Okay, so Peter Rubenstein uh, can dig through tunnels with super speed and things. And so he digs a tunnel underneath anesthesiologist comes up, anesthesiologist falls through the tunnel, and then he buries the anesthesiologist yeah, alive. Yeah, because anesthesiologists, it says, are wall crawlers, but Peter Rubenstein destroys walls. Well, I hope that giant robot is an iron lung, because I'm going to use uh, neuromuscular <laughs> depolarizing agents to halt his respiratory system oh, as wow. an anesthesiologist. It's, wow. It's That's clearly a, a giant robot that has its own air supply inside. That can easily be infiltrated <laughs> by a volatile okay, but you anesthetic. Didn't even, yeah. You didn't even have time to do that because Peter Rubenstein dug his hole so fast right underneath you and then buried you alive with his super speed power. You guys are forgetting that we have a bagel. And what's the one weakness for a Dr. Rubenstein? Bagels. No, he nice. gives out he bagels. He's giving bagels. Mm. He, doesn't, he doesn't need a bagel because I don't he has remember it. the anesthesiologist being issued a bagel, we, but we okay, have it. we just happen to have it. <laughs> if you think about Rubenstein. what's going to be in like an anesthesiology department, I'm going to guess there's probably going to be some bagels somewhere. Okay. And you think Dr. Rubenstein doesn't like bagels? He just buys bagels out of the goodness of his heart. He's buying he has so many. He bagels. has one himself. He has he ha one every himself. day. Yeah, there's no way. Uh, he has so many, and he's committed to <laughs> this fight. But his <laughs> persistent <laughs> chronic cough will just cause you to want to leave the room. <laughs> yes. A persistent chronic cough. A persistent chronic cough seems like he might not be the ideal candidate for surviving anesthesia. Wow. But yeah. he's still yeah, here. He's, he's irrelevant. Still irrelevant. Peter Rubenstein never goes away. Yeah, he, he lectures us and they're like, 
we're confused about if his lungs are even still inside of him and he's still going. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I feel like I haven't taken advantage of the wall crawler cattering yeah. aspect yet, yeah. but I feel like Peter anesthesiology. Peter just digs through and tunnels. I just don't know why. why you have been buried alive. You don't tunnel, get to use any of these. This tunnel that has been digged, I think, is considered a wall. Like, we're not, we don't just traditionally crawl traditional walls. You like got buried this. so fast. <laughs> you can't crawl out of it. You can hit him in the lungs with your cattering. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, but we, Peter Rubenstein is a giant robot. robot. You can't, the, like, anesthesiologists are used to human, but he is a robot. Yeah. You can't penetrate he's not, through mm. that. He's inside the he's robot. Inside. Metal he's brain not, barrier. He's not in the metal brain barrier. <laughs> <laughs> he's not a robot. He's inside of one. Yeah. So how you think, but to do anything to him, you have to get him outside of the robot costume. Bagels. And he has, he has super speed. I have bagels. And he has his own bagels yeah. inside the robot. But uh, He stopped at Brugger's on the way. The bagels we, only... we call it before the anesthesiologist loses. But how are you going to stop my inhaled anesthetic that's just drained into the robot? I'm wearing a respirator. Mm. I'm okay, pretty sure that... Peter Rubenstein is not wearing a respirator. Yeah, Peter... <laughs> I have become Peter Rubenstein. I just want that just cut of Abby yelling, I am Peter Rubenstein. The pharmacokinetics <laughs> with um, gonna make that my ring the time. robot works. Exactly. Marilyn is so smart. Guys, she gas, gas fills a space and crosses <laughs> the blood metal barrier. It, it, it has <laughs> to get thing. through the metal. It's an impenetrable robot. It's metal. It's like a super blood brain barrier. It's yeah. a metal brain barrier. All right. I think I need to summarize the arguments here. We've got uh, an, an, an anesthesiologist um, who uh, can can uh, paralyze, put <laughs> to paralyze, sleep, paralyze. kill, everything. Uh, with above. with gas injected into the robot's <laughs> ventilation system, and who has uh, bagels to lure uh, Doctor Rubenstein into a position of vulnerability, and we've got uh, Rubenstein inside a giant robot, um, so he's somewhat protected. Um, he has his own stash of bagels, and um, I, you know I got to give this one to to uh, Rubybot. Yeah. Yes. Um, you know, luck of the draw, guys. You did your best. Yeah. You had a you had a losing, yeah, a losing hand. You did your we, best. We I, had a name to our superhero. The yeah. strongest thing about it was an anesthesiologist, which in like a superhero fight, like it's a great <laughs> <Yeah>. specialty, but <laughs> it's, it's, it's not helpful. But it's Ruby. <laughs> it's Ruby. Winston never loses. All right, let's do another one here. Hillary Clinton can turn so steel, can turn to steel, and makes terrible tasting pies. Uh, while team two is Nathan Swales, throws ninja stars, and shoots lightning. I'm going to let Morgan start with, with, oh, with Nathan Swales. Nathan Swales is our histology and one of our anatomy professors. Yeah. He has yeah. a beautiful Australian accident. Accent. Accident. <laughs> <laughs> he's a, he's a, not a beautiful Australian accent. He is a, he's I mean, a great we don't man. know that. It's <laughs> fair. Um, Maybe in Australia, we're like, you know what? You got to go. Because you're too, you're too much of an accident for us. Right? <laughs> but Go follow to. him on Instagram. Yes. I heart his stuff. Oh yeah, you actually need to follow him. He this has second. a lot of followers. Yeah, I actually. heart histo. Mm-hmm. I heart histo. It's worth it. To begin this fight debate, um, Nathan Swales would just catch Hillary Clinton off guard to begin with because he is a captivating, excited person. So before she could even with enact- an Australian accent, yes, it's incredible. Which I think is among the cooler accents. Yes, but even before she could turn to steel, he would be able to distract her by his excitement and use his, you know, ninja stars and lightning shooting in order to win this fight. It would be game over. Mm -hmm. See, so Nathan Swales has admitted that he's not a morning person. He always makes his his cup of coffee when he gives 8 a.m. lectures and his um, breakfast. And so Hillary Clinton would again lure him with her wonderful looking but terrible tasting pies and mm-hmm. he would just be caught off guard. Yeah, his little you, Australian slash UK self. You have to remember that the world is not necessarily on Hillary Clinton's side. So she probably has trust issues. I mean, I would probably have trust issues if I was Hillary Clinton. So I don't think she trusts Nathan Swales. Uh, uh, how does this factor in? I'm, I'm... So they were saying that Nathan Swales is so captivating oh. that oh. <laughs> she just won't even turn to steel because she trusts him. But Hillary Clinton trusts no one. I 
You know what? We did factor in. Wow. I'm not just. Mate, I'll wow. throw a ninja star and cut that capillary right in half. That's Swales <laughs> talking to Hillary as yeah. he you just exsanguinates her. I also find it hard to believe that. Through her capillaries? <laughs> yes. Through her capillaries. <laughs> not capillaries. <laughs> capillaries. Capillaries. Sorry, I'm like arguing for Swales. Here. See, it's tough it's it's <laughs> to argue against them. I find it hard to believe that he would eat that pie before he would section it and image it also and find something wrong with it. So Ooh. that's just not, yeah. But I don't think he gets. I I don't know that he can make a move on Hillary Clinton to throw a ninja star at her and lightning her because she... Our prompt says she can turn to steel. She, so. Yeah, she turned to steel the second she felt threatened, Why which was we, the second... She also Nathan has a metal brain barrier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the then, okay, not. then she puts a sly amount of poison that she got from the anesthesiologist in the The pot. anesthesiologist is not here anymore. <laughs> it's okay. an OP character. So she makes a bad <laughs> pie and a cup of coffee, and she poisons them both. And Nathan Swales is so tempted. Do you really think Nathan Swales images all the food he eats? No. <laughs> He's a human. He's not even in a radiologist. Guys, Nathan Swales has a beautiful child to fight for. He needs yes. to stay alive. And this yeah. is oh yeah, Hil- Hillary's child. about her. Oh. Hillary's oh. child has grown, and you know she, you know, so you she's guys, on her own now. You know, yeah. You guys want Hillary Clinton to kill Doctor Swales and leave his child I really alone? Don't. Can I? With, can I be done? Oh, oh, Just world defeat absent, him in this battle. In a world absent. <laughs> Of Dr. Swales, wow. you gonna leave okay, that child to grow up? And no. you know, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, 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 if you follow her on Twitter, she can, you know, she's she's got that. But I think she would, I, I'm wondering if she might be overwhelmed by compassion in at the thought that Mason has brought up of of depriving uh, young Miss Swales of her, of her uh, alive or conscious father. <laughs> and I have no idea what a ninja star is, but I'm assuming the throwing, that... The yeah, throwing stars. Like, the, do you need me to show you? She's yeah, like, please. She's got nothing. But if he's a if he's a ninja or has ninja stars, I, again, I don't know what these are. Um, I would assume that he could do this in a sneaky way before Hillary felt threatened or put up her steel barrier. Mm, all right. Oh, those look scary. <laughs> <laughs> Hate that. Remember Love that team two Dr. can't Swales. even utilize their own weapons though. She didn't even know what they were. So yeah, I think lightning though. If, if um, unless Hillary lightning and steel, unless Hillary has a really good connection to Earth with her suit, I think a lightning could spell some doom for for Hillary. I'm going to be honest that I don't really want to win this fight anymore now that Nathan Swell's daughter got brought into this. <laughs> wow, this is called psychological warfare. Yeah, yeah, well I'm very done. vulnerable to it. All right, well, I think I'm going to have to call it for uh, for. Um, for team uh, two. I then. just think if you have a UIHC professor involved. Yeah. So. Yeah. Can we get the random win. machine to get us two UIHC professors who are dearly loved? Well, we'll see. It's all, you know, the computer makes the choice. I've, it's, it's been, it's got advanced machine learning. <laughs> um, so I don't know how it works. All right. Here we go. We'll, we'll try another one. All right. Ooh. Team one is a nutritionist can only move when opponents move and is wearing a scuba suit, team two is a graduate of Harvard, Harvard Medical School, can become mist while holding breath and is covered in spikes. Oh boy. Oh boy. Nutritionist versus Harvard, med, Harvard Medical Doctor. As I hate to bring this up again, but as we know from this podcast, nutrition can really get the blood oh boiling. <laughs> <laughs> so, so a nutritionist has this natural ability t- for people to lose their minds. Okay. I have a question. So your character cannot move or your character can only move when their opponent's moving. But if your opponent is missed, are they actually moving? Well, brownie in motion, <laughs> right? I mean, I, I, I don't know what that means. You just look to me like we're supposed to have a like moment. The, <laughs> the, <laughs> I'm like, motion. It's the movement of molecules in a gas. Oh, oh. Yeah. Uh, the constant movement oh. of molecules in a gas. A brownie in motion? Yeah. I thought you said a brownie so in motion. Then, I was then, like, oh, I'm not hungry. Thanks, Dave. <laughs> like, what I thought you said too. <laughs> Brownie. I was picturing a brownie like bursting okay. into mist. So I what I love, what I love about this, what I absolutely love about this, is I was shocked. I was shocked 
that I knew a science thing <laughs> that you guys didn't know. And so I was like, damn, Dave, you know about some Brownian motion? And then it turns out that I just fucking pronounced it real bad. <laughs> oh, you were talking or like we the, just didn't hear it. Yeah, like the Great British Bake Off. I was like, that has nothing to do with this, Dave. Not right now. A brownie in motion. <laughs> but if it's constantly Mason. in motion, then we can be in motion. The nutritionist can, you know, cause unrest wherever he or she goes. So can mm-hmm. Harvard med grad student, yeah. Harvard med graduate. I think we also need to take into account that the nutritionist has fueled his or her body with the best of nutrition. Mm-hmm. So we have a peak physical specimen. Prevention I, medicine at its finest. Exactly. On the other hand, I know I, I shouldn't be jumping in You're to biased. this thing. I'm biased. On the other hand, uh, I've seen a number of contradictory nutrition studies. Uh, not by real nutritionists. What? Oh, really? <laughs> so everyone who has a bad study is not a real nutritionist? Yeah. Probably. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> not an R- RD. Every RD that I've talked to is very evidence-based. Okay, okay. But it doesn't but say you're an RD. Yeah. yeah, but, but we even, don't know so, who you even are. so, like... The evidence is contradictory. I mean, specific, like they're doing a good enough job, you know. The yeah. evidence is good enough. For yeah, <laughs> so not for the Harvard grad. They're not pounding and, the junk food. And a nutritionist is really into their physical. Well, fitness. the Harvard grad can only become missed when they hold their breath. So they're going to be true. holding their breath, and then they're just going to go into like hypoxic shock or something. Mm-hmm. When how long we are we holding our breath? I <laughs> believe that's how holding your breath works. That our nutritionist <laughs> has a commitment to mindful eating and thus a commitment to mindfulness. Uh-huh. And she, oh, okay. she or he knows him or herself very well and they're at peace. Whereas our Harvard medical graduate. And we haven't even mentioned the scuba yeah. suit. Yeah. Okay, the Harvard Medical Graduate is stressed, okay? I'd imagine Harvard Medical School is a stressful place. And so we have the, like, peak physical specimen, and then we have this unhealthy, frazzled medical student who can turn to mist, okay? Well, let's, He's let's, a graduate. Let's correct it. He's a graduate. Yeah. And if there's anything I've learned from our N4 friends is you do get less stressed okay, at that but period But then he's probably a resident, and I'd imagine that's almost as bad. He is a graduate. He's a graduate. He's a officially graduated. He's a resident. Is he between, the question is, is he between uh, graduation day and July 1? Makes when, a big difference. Yeah. She could be at it any point. And probably just well, in the October. So we're October of our first year of residence. That's true. That's true. What if what if she took time to go work in Silicon Valley? She foregoes a residency <laughs> and she's this really incredible, talented, mistraveling, spiky person who just kills nutritionists. Right. I don't who know why is, we haven't talked about spikes. <laughs> but the uh the who's, likelihood is not that who spent like so many years of their life getting into medical school and going through medical school to not pursue that. Where the nutritionist is just like, I'm living my best life. Right, but I'm anger. I'm sure that the scuba suit has to be petted or has to be like impermeable to spikes because, like, have you ever been in a coral reef? They have some really like pokey coral things. What's the. I think I. The like the thing. I think I've suddenly stepped into a new. Like a raccoon. A new conversation. A raccoon of a coral. Do you know? Does anyone know what I'm talking about? No. You can I don't think raccoons live underwater. I have no idea what's going on. You can still get your leg bit off by a shark if you're in a coral, but it's. A raccoon looking coral. <laughs> I'm just saying that the scuba suit will a sea urchin maybe <laughs> allow us to it? go places that the Harvard medical student yeah, could never you. go. But I think that it gives us at least underwater. A, <laughs> but we're mayor. That's one place. A Lots fair people. bit of pre, pre, uh, uh, like protection from all these spikes. I don't even know what, what I'm talking thing about. I'm talking about? The Harvard <laughs> Medical School grad. So he's he so. So the, the nutritionist wearing a scuba suit, so they can go in the water, uh, where we the water. Harvard Medical School, I'm not sure what happens to mist when it goes underwater, but he so, does have to hold his breath. I think we have a fundamental issue here is we have not fought yet. We've just yelled yeah. about who has a better or worse life, a nutritionist <laughs> or a medical school graduate. Well, the nutritionist causes unrest. So I would I, I would argue I would argue that we have just a lot of built up anger and stress that would cause us to fight harder and or to want be to get more at risk for out. diseases. Okay, but then we we're in our stress in your life. <laughs> and we go underwater and then you either Let's turn just to go miss. to the year three thousand. <laughs> Is it, what just happened? I don't, I don't know. Is this it's not much the same? But we live in the wa- underwater. Okay. Is uh is the fact that it's a Harvard medical Harvard medical grad the this specific school is that a factor here? Yeah. No, not to me. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> 
I just I just think that there there's a lot in, of pressure being a Harvard a Harvard medical graduate mm-hmm. like you have and a lot you of guys argue that they didn't even go to residency so they're not yeah. Yeah. that's okay so it's, it's either we have like a, a medical here. school graduate who dropped out of medicine or someone who's a first year resident and is very stressed very vulnerable we are in our scuba suit and. You're really stressed, okay? You're really stressed. And Are we stressed? You know though? what? We're too we're too busy for this fight, anyways. <laughs> so yeah, okay. let's, we're, we're done. The nutritionist offers so they you folded, forfeited. Nutritionist wins. You guys swam away. <laughs> yeah. Seven hours ago, you yeah. swam away. This fight was done. I'm we convince you our food is healthy, but turns out it's poison. Wait, I'm gonna, Dave, <laughs> I think I'm gonna have to call this for the nutritionist. Yeah. yeah. Since the medical school graduate is like, I'm too busy for this shit. <laughs> this, is, this is ridiculous. I'm done. Yeah. All right, one last one. Uh, team one is a literal insane, literally insane clown posse, has only one leg and is afraid of water. Uh, team two is Mark Pizzamenti. He can stop time while holding breath, holding his breath, and is a hoarder. <laughs> okay. okay, okay, so can we first clarify what, what is, it means to stop time? <laughs> uh, Mark Piz- first of all, we should say Mark Pizmenti is our beloved uh, a- anatomy, first name. An- anatomy <laughs> professor, Dr. Dr. Piz. Piz. Uh, I dunked him in the dunk tank last spring. Yeah. I dunked so everyone I'm, in the dunk tank. Wow, Madeline. Nice. <laughs> Look at you, big arm over there. Yeah. It was so weird, far. Weird, weird flex. <laughs> Um, all right. Team but one. Especially Dr. Hogs. Okay, but what do what do we mean by stopping time? Is you can this stop like, time. You yeah, can but does that mean like everyone's frozen? Also, while time why, is we are literally yeah. insane clown, not figurative. I would I would say that I would say but that literally also means figurative. I would say that uh, I'm gonna rule here that stop time means that everybody else stops and you are capable of of doing existing things. existing and doing yeah, this is a rough superpower for us to overcome but yeah i've got to go ask dr pizmetti a question namely how long can he hold his breath <laughs> how much time also <laughs> wish him clear thinking yeah yeah, yeah. that's the one so, thing we forget the pizmeister general has very clear thinking yeah, very which clear can thinking. help in any battle mm-hmm. or does he not have clear thinking and well, that's why he always wishes it upon us because he understands what it's like to not think clearly oh that's a good point i mean he is a hoarder <laughs> maybe he's a hoarder of important facts in his mind and about anatomy yes so this literally insane not figuratively but maybe figuratively in the new definition of literally clown posse mm-hmm. has only one leg it's got less to drag it down in life <laughs> okay so i think our literally insane clown posse i'm confused about is there one leg between the whole posse <laughs> <laughs> that's a great clarifying okay, question so, so this clown posse asks dr pizzamenti about the anatomy of how this is possible and dr pizzamenti is so excited He's so excited. I just have to say that twice. How excited he is to answer an anatomy question. Yeah, he is. Okay. Uh, That he gets distracted. And since we're a posse, there is multiple of us. And while Dr. Pismenti is distracted teaching us anatomy, we strangle him. And hoarding. <laughs> wow. And there's, there's multiple of us. Yikes. There okay. is multiple of us. So. I'm just picturing all these floating clown heads because they only have one leg. <laughs> <laughs> and they're just like swarming. They, they have okay. all the arms. When he's inhaled too much so formaldehyde like from the inhaler. Eight like arms might, strangling like him while Pismenti is only looking at the one leg. I feel like you might be insane if you are a posse with only one leg. <laughs> uh I think that might make you Literally nuts. I think insane. that might make you nuts. I think that might make you insane. Yeah, that I doesn't think. mean you can't wreak havoc. But on I want to point out that uh, the the one-legged posse is afraid of water yeah. while uh, Dr. Pizzamenti can stop time while holding his breath, which he might do where? In the water. In oh. the formaldehyde. Yeah. In f- <laughs> That's a really good it's point even I was thinking of. Yeah. We stop time. We make sure that this posse of clowns is introduced to water formaldehyde whatever you want the liquid to be they're afraid they drown now, easy I, I don't know that they're afraid, afraid of afraid other liquids of they're the just water, afraid of so water so we don't go swimming <laughs> Morgan find water oh you were so fast go swimming last yeah. round but now we want to go swimming and we now, can't go to the beach now I'm afraid you can go swimming Mark Pizzamenti can go swimming all he wants but us clowns are just going to stay on the beach while Mark Pizzamenti drowns and we'll be <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> my own teammate is throwing me off. <laughs> oh my gosh, okay. <laughs> With her violent tendencies. Uh, we love you, Mark Pizzamenti. Yeah. 
Yeah, let the world know that I'm actually a big fan of Mike Pizzamenti. Okay, here, here's another thing we're going to take into account is is Dr. Pizzamenti is wearing his white coat. And what does Dr. Pizzamenti always have in his white coat? Scissors. Yeah, the scariest looking scissors of With all gold times. on them. Yeah, With that's gold. somehow we can't With have. gold? Yeah, he's a mob yeah. boss for he's sure. He's got gold scissors? Oh. Maybe yeah. he hoards scissors. Our group oh. has a random pair of gold scissors at our table. And all the facilitators, facilitators keep asking us if we stole them from Mark Pizzamenti. And it's getting to be a little bit stressful in lab. Gold. I love it. If there's anything clowns are weak to, it's water and gold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there you have it. Yeah, it's a well-known fact that clowns don't. But like everyone's gold. afraid of clowns, so we just have that automatic yeah, leg, yeah, up, in the, leg up in the world. <laughs> Dr. Pizzamenti cannot resist answering our anatomy question about how we can only have one leg. Like, he's going to explain to us what is happening in our pelvis. I'm going to see if I can Im- imitate him. Like, well, mm think that the uh, leg would probably, right? Is that, am, am, how's it's my imitation? It's a permanent stance phase. Yeah, so. <laughs> he literally did his like it's PhD possible. in like gait, I think. Yeah, oh, did so he? He's, that makes yeah, so much he sense. Can't, he can't oh, so overcome this temptation. Yeah, he's got all the knowledge to use against you since he knows all about gait. Yeah, but we, yeah. we use that to our advantage that he has all the knowledge and we get him about so excited gait. that he's you guys just have one gait, so excited like to share. <laughs> That we He's can then distract him and kill him. But you know what else happens? He doesn't just explain to you what's happening. He asks this posse of literally insane clowns very in-depth questions to get them to come to the correct conclusion. Which and so is. that is distracting for you. And you guys are now But he all can't get out of the anatomy lab because he's a hoarder <laughs> and... We're so yeah. he's just trapped in there. Buried, we're so in insane that we're like not. Yes. We don't care that we don't know the answer. <laughs> and then we he'll just, just do something <laughs> so wrong that he can't help but continue to explain. And remember the floating heads. Yes, know, there's I floating like clown heads. Where that and we just from. take turns. <laughs> the literally insane hitting Doctor Pizzamenti on his head, and then <laughs> wow. Once Abby again. has thought about this a little yeah. bit too much, and Once, I'm a little worried. Yeah, we were prepared. Once again, hitting professors on their head. I know. I, I don't I think this one oh I don't know I think I'm gonna give it to uh, I'm gonna give it to Doctor Pizzamenti just because Ooh. just because I you know he's a he's a good man and that's the reason why he should win. <laughs> that's being a good man doesn't help you win. Does it mean that he's capable of winning? That just means that you well, want him to win. Yeah, but, you're a little concerned about how unhinged I have become by this game. As the as the yes, I'm concerned, but you know as the um, as the ultimate arbiter of this game, nay. God of this game. I am putting my fingers on the scale and giving it to Dr. Pizzamenti. We tied two to two. And everybody gets a uh, participation Participation award. Well, then. I'd just like to say, channeling my doctor, or my inner Dr. Pizzamenti, I'm about to go have clear thinking and take a little, little tiny quiz. Nice. Oh, a little tiny one. I got it. I got it. Caps quiz. (laughs) Nice. Well, we'll let you go. That is our show. Abby, Morgan, Mason, Madeline. Thanks for hanging out with me today. You're welcome. And of yeah, course, thanks. and of course, thank you, Shortcoats, for making us part of your week. If you're new here and you like what you heard today, subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify, and whenever, wherever fine podcasts are available. Uh, your questions are what we live for uh, because they mean the show can be what you want it to be about, and I don't have to do any work to come up with random things to talk about. So send your questions and comments to the shortcuts at gmail.com or you can leave a message at 347 short We'll talk about it on the show. While your podcast app is open, give us some stars and review to let us know whether we're doing the right thing for you. The show is made possible by generous donation by Carver College of Medicine Student Government and ongoing support from the Writing and Humanities Program. Program. Our, exec- our re- reluctant executive producer is Kate DeCherry. Our opening music is by Dr. Vox, and our closing music is by Catmosphere. Talk to you in one week.